When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Needless to say, all of the papers giving a lot of coverage to the news that came yesterday. One of the co-architects of the Good Friday Agreement, David uh, Trimble, a man described as a man of courage and a vision who took political risks. He passed away yesterday at the age of 77 and uh, following the announcement of his uh, death, tributes have poured in from politicians right across the island for the former Northern Ireland First Minister. David Trimble played a key role in finding a peaceful solution to the troubles in Northern Ireland. And of course, that was acknowledged when he, along with the late John Hume, uh, picked up the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, he's distinct- he distinguished himself as an ac- in, an, in an academic career first that was in the law faculty of Queen's University, Belfast. And then he decided to make that move into politics and leading the tributes yesterday. Our own president, uh, Michael D. Higgins, said David Trimble would be remembered for his most significant contribution to the work for peace on our island. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin said he was deeply saddened at the news. The Sinn Féin leader Mary New Macdonald said she was very saddened to hear of David Trimble's death. She said condolences then to his wife Daphne and all of the family. Mary Lou says his contribution to building the peace process in Ireland will stand as a proud and living legacy of his political life. And the former Sinn Féin leader Gerry Adams also expressing his deep regret at David Trimble's passing and also went on to extend his condolences to uh, Daphne and to all of his children. So as they say, lots and lots in the papers today with people, you know, breaking a lot of the political correspondence, you know, talking about the work that he did at the time and, you know, and and, and the likes of uh, David Trimble and uh, John Hume, I mean, they will never be forgotten. They really will never be forgotten for bringing peace to this country. So may David Trimble rest in peace. And as a follow on to yesterday's programme on a good news story, remember yesterday, uh, Diane, one of our listeners, joined us on the programme because her son, her 14-year-old son, who is a young autistic lad, was absolutely distraught because a gun that he had made in school... it was it, when you say when you think of a gun, you think of like a little handheld gun. It was, and this was actually like a rifle. Fantastic work went into it. The wood turning involved in it was superb, and it was his pride and joy. He had made it in school along with the help of his woodwork uh, teacher, and he was very proud of this gun that he had made. So much so that he took it everywhere with him, and he had been on a visit to McCroom Castle the previous evening, and they were by the exercise equipment near the GAA pitch, and he placed down this large wooden gun when he was doing something. 
something and then didn't he forget about it and you know within 15 minutes he remembered oh where's my gun where's my gun ran back to get it and it was gone and as Diane outlined to us yesterday somebody had seen a mum with two young children who would be now playing in the at the castle and running around to the castle pick it up and walk out of the castle with it so we were assuming that somebody had taken it home to look after it but we needed to get the shout out to say could this very valuable very valuable to this young 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 lad could it be returned so we put out the appeal yesterday we put it up on our Facebook uh, page and a huge amount of people shared it so thank you for that and then the good news yesterday evening that the mum uh, along the two children had heard the appeals saw what had gone up on Facebook and made contact with D- Diane and the gun has been safely returned and her son is absolutely delighted so thank you uh, to everyone who got involved in trying to get a happy outcome and we did get the hacky, happy outcome that we needed so thank you to everybody who shared our Facebook posts uh, yesterday and it's good to know that the, the lad has it back and I think it could be the start of a great wood turning career for that young man because we put up the picture online I mean there was a lot of work went into it and a lot of really good work as well so thanks to Diane for joining us yesterday 0818 103 103 now a breaking story from this morning is to do with motorists who are caught speeding using your mobile phone while driving if you fail to wear your seatbelt belt you could be hit with the doubling of existing fines it's all part of new measures to try to respond what is unfortunately a sharp spike in the number of road deaths here in Ireland in recent months Four people alone have died on Irish roads and that was just in the last 48 hours. 94 families are without a loved one so far for this this year and we're only a little over halfway through uh, this year and already when you compare it to the figures for this time last year there have been 66 deaths on the road up to this time last year that's already gone to 94 it really is shocking so it's the Minister of State with responsibility for road transport that's Hildegard Nocton she's saying that evidence from the Road Safety Authority is showing that the number of fatalities on our roads as a result of people speeding, as a result of people using mobile phones and therefore not concentrating while they're driving. But there's also indications that people are not wearing seatbelts, which I find really, really surprising. Is it not one of the first things you do when you get into the car? You put on your seatbelt. And I've got one of those cars that thankfully has a very annoying habit. A beeper will keep going off until everybody in the car has got their seatbelts on and there's no way of overriding it. There's no way of switching it off. But it really makes sure that everybody, including all the people in the backseat, that everybody is wearing their seatbelts. But it's hard to fathom that there are still people driving around without a seatbelt. So earlier this morning, Hildegard Nocton says it was pointed out that by this this year alone over 100,000 of those offences for speeding mobile phone use and not wearing safety belts have already been committed and she said that's simply unacceptable that 100,000 people have already been fined so she wants to, what she wants to do now is bring in a measure she wants to do it with almost immediate effect she wants to increase the fines which then obviously she's hoping will act as a deterrent for people on our roads and she wants to get them in in time for the month of August because the month of August is always a very busy month on our road. You've got people holidaying. It kicks off with the bank holiday weekend. It's also the month when we have a lot of tourists visiting this uh, country and there's obviously more 
schools are all out for summer so you've got more school children out and about and she's asking people to slow down on the roads be extra vigilant keep an eye out for pedestrians be aware of cyclists be aware of other vulnerable road uh, users so she's talking about regulations on doubling of the fines she says those regulations are being worked at at the moment and she says they could be in effect within a number of weeks so she really is not going to drag her heels on this one she says that what they want to do they want to act as fast as possible to put in place immediate measures and she said and Garda Corner from this morning will have 62 new safety camera zones rolled out across the country and they will be bringing this total number nationwide to additional speed cameras they'll come to um, uh, 1,400 so they're increasing uh, those but you know she is making the point you don't need to wait for a speed van to slow down or you don't need to wait for Gardaí Corner to be out and about to stop you using your mobile phone. She says that it's all about asking the public and drivers to have that responsibility themselves. I think the mobile phone use and whenever it it comes up like that in the media or if ever I'm reading something online. Usually the next time I'm in my car, if I'm parked at traffic lights, take a look around if you can see other cars when you're parked at traffic lights. The number of people who are on their mobile phones at traffic lights is really astounding. And of course, the problem is, OK, you're stopped at a traffic light. You think, oh, it's OK, I'll just check, give, give a quick look at that text or a quick look at, to see what's going on on Instagram. Uh, utter madness. But then you see when you pull off, if, if you've, your attention has been sparked by something or perhaps you're in the middle of reading a text message, the danger is you won't put the phone down and that you'll continue half looking at the road and half trying to read your text message or half trying to read what you were reading on social, so, on social media. And that's when you're, you're completely distracted and you cannot be concent, con, concentrating on the roads, which is what we are meant to be doing. So a doubling of fines. Good move, bad move. Do you think it'll help? Do you think if you know there is a chance now in the coming weeks that when you get into the car, the current fines could be doubled? Will it make you reduce your speed? Will you think twice about picking up the mobile phone? And for God's sake, will everybody please just put on your seatbelt when you get into the car? Rip off hotel prices making the news again. This is a, this one this time is the Aslan star, Billy McGuinness. He's actually called on the government to try to take action over what he's calling the rip off overpriced hotels in uh, Dublin and obviously that was to do with thousands of people who were flocking to gigs at Croke Park or at the Three Arena and the music industry obviously is now being affected by rip-off hotel prices because what's happening is fans are cancelling tickets to gigs because they bought tickets to the gigs if the gigs are in Dublin, they then tried to get a hotel. Now, they're, they're, it's a kind of a double whammy going on at the moment. There are less hotel rooms because, of course, many hotels are full with Ukrainian refugees. And the ones then that are left, the prices have simply spiralled out of control. And Billy McGuinness, star of Aslan, says he's got absolutely no problem with the refugees being housed in hotels. But he said the government needs to act to put in place similar legislation to ticket touting. That's what he's liking it to because of the sky-high hotel room prices. And he used the example that a lot of people have been talking about uh, when Bruce Springsteen was on. Two guys from Limerick were quoted astronomical prices for a room in Dublin. I think they were quoted about €500 each. 
to stay in Dublin in order to attend the Bruce Springsteen concert. So what they did was they cancelled their Bruce Springsteen concert for Dublin. They got tickets to the same gig in Rome, which, by the way, were cheaper than what the tickets would have been for Dublin. So they got tickets for the gig. They got flights to and from Limerick. I'm assuming they went out to Shannon to Rome. They got overnight accommodation in Rome and it was cheaper than them paying to get on the train or to go in the car to Dublin and spend a night in Dublin and that is absolutely ludicrous. So Billy McGinn is saying it is simply rip off Ireland. So Aslan as a band wrote a letter to the Culture Minister Catherine Martin Martin, asking for action over these expensive hotel rooms. In response, an official from the department told the band, the government unfortunately has no say in commercial decisions that hotels make. they, They say that businesses are also facing significant cost pressures due to inflation and other economic uh, factors. But Matt uh, McGranahan, I'm sure we've had Matt on the programme before. He's with the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. We would have spoken with them during all of the lockdowns because they were the industry that everybody accepted were the first to close down and they were the last to reopen. reopen. Uh, He also says uh, that it is wrong that refugees are being used as scapegoats for these expensive hotel rooms. He says the government has failed to provide long-term solutions to help refugees fleeing a war. And he said the knock-on effect then is on ticket sales for many shows across the country. And in the worst cases, festivals have had to be cancelled. Why? Because there's a lack of uh, accommodation. It seems to be particularly acute though in Dublin. I don't know if anybody has been has needed to book a hotel room in Dublin but certainly on this programme we would have heard from listeners when they had tried to book a hotel room in Dublin just astronomical uh, prices and really really and and okay I accept that the cost of doing business has gone up and has significantly gone up you know we were all paying extra for our electricity and I know hotels would say laundry which would be one of their huge huge out uh, one of their huge bills that they would have to pay every single week and the cost of that has gone up and everything has gone up but it still doesn't justify some of the prices particularly that Dublin hotels are charging because if you look around the country whereas around the country hotel prices have gone up maybe by 10-20% on what they would have been say last year or the year before or just before the pandemic but certainly in Dublin you're looking at hotel prices that have gone up by 100% and more I mean I had my own small example of it back earlier in the year in that we needed to stay in a hotel in Dublin because we were flying out could only get flights out of Dublin. The, it was the Easter weekend and on the Friday of, it was Good Friday, we needed to stay in Dublin because we had an early flight the next morning and we had a, a family room for the, the three of us without breakfast. You know, and it was a family room and it was €161. Euro. And exactly five weeks later, we were flying out again on early on a Saturday morning and I went to book and I had to book the same hotel again, same room, family room, no breakfast. And it had jumped up to 320 uh, euro. It had gone up by 100 percent. No, it was absolutely no justification for that uh, at all. So now the music industry are being affected because people are cancelling their tickets. And actually the car hire prices, which, by the way, we have spoken about on the programme many times uh, this year. Irish car hire prices rose more than anywhere else in the world this year. And I'm not surprised to read that when you hear some of the crazy quotes tourists have been quoted. They've gone up by 267% and a study that was conducted by Car Hire Group Discover 
cars.com it showed that Ireland's average price are increased from 49 euro that, now that would have been an average a daily rate on a small car and it went from 49 euro in June of last year to 182 euro in June of this year the cost of car hire rose almost everywhere in the world but nowhere as higher as high as in Ireland so we were top of the list cheapest place by the way if you want to hire a car Canary Islands uh, they have a daily rate there of just 24 euro and the increase on the Canary Islands they went up just by 2% over what they were charging last year whereas here in Ireland we went up by 267% and crazy prices like an, a crazy quotes an American couple revealing they were quoted €50,000 to rent a van for nine days that was back in June and they actually worked it out it would have been cheaper to have rented a helicopter that would have come out less than the 50,000 for a nine day rental in uh, June and there was lots of other examples like that like that as well just uh, crazy uh, and as inflation soars experts are now calling for the government to investigate into price gorging by the car rental co- companies um, saying and saying it is adding to the stress facing tourists after the nightmare of long queues missed flights everything's going on at Dublin airport with lost bags and all of that and tourists in Ireland are saying that there was undoubtedly a problem with car hire but they say there was no easy answer in uh, sight more definite and obvious price gorging going on 0818 103 103 our lines are open Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie According to reports, farmers have never been so nervous as tense negotiations continue this week between the Agriculture and Environment Ministers over cuts to agricultural emissions. Yesterday, a group of prominent Fine Gael TDs and Senators warned that finger-pointing at the farming industry runs the risk of tarnishing Ireland's reputation as one of the world's most sustainable producers of quality food. And one of those Fine Gael TDs is one of our own Deputy David Stanton of Cork East, uh, who joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Patricia. W- would you agree that many farmers are feeling very nervous at, at the moment because nobody really knows what way this is going to go? They are. And I've met with them. And these people are people who work extremely hard and have invested hugely in, in their businesses. And uh, their industry ends up in employing people and producing excellent food, world-quality food. And um, they're nervous now because they don't know where it's going. And there's been a lot of debate and discussion uh, around about, you know, that they are causing all kinds of problems and, you know, they're, the, they're getting the blame. And they don't, they, they're, they don't like that either, obviously. And because farmers are doing the best they can, they... They, they realise the importance of climate change more than anybody because they're out there and if they have a very dry, dry summer, as we had a number of years ago, they suffer a few floods and a lot of rain, they suffer. So they know the importance of this and they're doing their very best to be part of the answer. And while other sectors must also sign up to cuts in admissions, isn't the focus unfairly on the agricultural sector? Well, that's what they feel and that's what they say. And uh, what, the reason we made that statement was to give them some reassurance that, look, we, we, we recognise the fact that they are working hard. And I've been putting forward ideas and suggestions in it all uh, as to what more we can do. For instance, anaerobic digestion is a huge, a huge um, business in many parts of Europe and in Northern Ireland. We're way behind the curve here. So I've been encouraging the ministers and the department and so on to 
drive that on, that takes slurry and other animal, other waste from farms, and um, it's digested. It produces gas, which can be um, put into the into the um, into the system that's happening in Mitchellstone um, shortly, or else um, it can be used on the farms as well to you know to to generate electricity or to heat. So that's that's a natural waste product that can be used, and that meat and then doesn't go into the atmosphere. That's just one example. The other one would be photovoltaic. I've been saying for a long time that every farm shed in the country should be called a photovoltaic cells to generate electricity from the sun. And um, there are so- solar panels. Solar panels, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And but but they, the farmers can get a grant. TAMS grant, uh, but if they get that grant to put up solar panels, they can't actually sell any excess onto the grid, which isn't very encouraging for anybody to go ahead and do that in the first place. And I know farms who, farmers who have done this, who have put up the photovoltaic cells in order to play their part, and yet they can't get paid for any excess that is sent onto the grid if they use the TAMS grant. So I brought up that in the dollar to the minister, and in fairness, uh, Minister McConlogue has agreed with me on it, and there, I know I'm hoping for the end of the year now that there'll be a change made to that. And in fairness, there are some of the suggestions that Eamon Ryan is making at as well, even though it does look like Eamon Ryan is trying to push for the higher uh, figure of uh, 30%. Do you believe that, that, that the lower carbon emission of 22%, while achievable, it will be a difficult task, won't it, for it, farmers? It will be extremely difficult for a lot of them uh, to achieve the 22%. But uh, I was talking to a farmer last night, now again, we were talk- he was talking about the mixed sward, the multi-species sward that, that's used, which means that they don't have to put out um, um, nitrates and, 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 and fertilizer on their grass. And he, he, he was swearing by it. He has himself and he said it's really, really good. And it means he, he doesn't use his tractors, he doesn't burn diesel, he doesn't have to put out fertilizer uh, on this. So there are a whole lot of also, um, you know, genomics, uh, breeding systems, and they've been working on those over the years with Tagus as well to improve. Uh, so you get more milk for out of fewer animals, if you like. And you probably would have known there recently that in America there was a major infant milk formula scare, and they, they yeah. just didn't have it on the shelves. Now, we produce the best in the world. Our co-ops here, I've been in some of those bests, and, and they are, you know, I mean, operating theatres are, are, are way behind them in hygiene. And they really produce the very, very best infant milk formula in the world. And, you know, if we cut back our herds too much, then we can, this, cut, this goes back as well. And the impact of that, not only in Ireland, but globally, would be felt. So we produce extremely good food. It's very sustainable. The farmers really want to play their part. But they are worried at the moment because if the sledgehammer comes down on top of them, a lot of things could be impacted and jobs in rural Ireland as well could be impacted, you know. OK, Brian agrees that all the focus seems to be on the agricultural sector. He's farming in the Middleton uh, area and he said it always seems to be about farmers. What about the aviation uh, sector and and what their contribution should be? And actually, I was only reading this morning, you know, Ryanair's announcement of 170 million euro profit for the last three months. I think they, they, they did something like 45 million passengers uh, in that three month period. You know the aviation authority need to step up as well. Well, we do, and we, and we, I suppose we're we're kind of cut here because we are an island nation, and we do need aviation, and we do need to get out. But we look, we need to look at the fuel mix that they are using, and the Tarnish has been speaking recently about synthetic fuels that are being produced, and the other refineries down the road for me here, and they are working very very hard again to bring in more uh, renewable fuels in, into their diesel mix and their petrol mixes. So everyone is working very hard on this at the minute. Where I'm quite excited about the whole green hydrogen issue. Uh, a lot of work going in, in on that. And and of course, the offshore wind with companies like Simply Blue and others. So there's a lot going on. 
we just I, I, I think the nervousness here is that the farmers are an easy target, uh, and it's kind of a very um, visible target to reduce the number of cows in your in, in, in your in your field and so on. But that reduces the amount of milk and butter and cheese and infant milk formula and so on that's produced as well. But there are other ways of reducing the um, the emissions without culling the herd, and I think they have to be explored to the nth degree. Now there may be cases where some farmers will reduce numbers anyway, um, for other reasons because if they have improved breeding systems where they're getting the same amount of milk for fewer animals and, and, and that's being worked on. So there's a lot going on here. Um, and But as I say, we, we hope that for the end of this week now, I'm hoping that there will be a, a, an agreement reached. OK, but of course, but you have to accept that agriculture does produce the most greenhouse gas uh, emissions, 37.5%. It's the, the largest of any other sector. I mean, the question that that people are asking and particularly you hear coming from the Green Party if agriculture the sector is given a lower emission target what other sectors then are going to have to take up that shortfall yeah it's 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 not easy it's not easy but again you've got it's good to get back to your original question Patricia what's possible as well and and if you bring in a sledgehammer here very very quickly uh, you're going to you're on the risk of destroying the, the the industry across the board and none of us want that the impact on that would be horrendous we could end up actually importing food from abroad or importing a lot of food as it is and I think maybe we're importing too much food from abroad and we should be producing more here for for own use and I know a lot of the supermarkets and restaurants and so on and make a point of saying this is local food produced locally. I was in a restaurant recently and that point was made and, and everything on the menu was produced locally, which is to be lauded and we'd, we'd encourage the supermarkets and others to buy local and, and, and so on. But we are exporting with a net food extra and we can see at the moment in parts of Africa and other, and other places that there's because of what's happening in Ukraine and, and where else and famine and drought and everything else that they're running short of food. We're, we're an exporter of food. We also import food. So it's quite complex. But the one thing we don't want to do straight away is to bring in a sledgehammer and destroy the industry that's been, been, been built up for so long and people have worked so, so very hard. And remember, a lot of these farm are farm families with, you know, small number of animals with small holdings, farm families. They're not massive, big um, spreads at all. And, you know, they're rearing their families and they're working hard. I know some of these farmers and one of the issues they have now is that they, they, they're finding it very hard to encourage people into the into farming because it's a tough business. It's a, you know, if you have cows there, for instance, it's a 24-7 job for quite a number of months in the year. So a lot of young people aren't going into the business and the, the number of farmers is ageing. So we hope that before the end of the week that we'll see uh, an agreement here and then we'll all have to work very, very hard to make it work. Yeah, well, I know the I mean, the average size of a dairy herd in Ireland, I think, is 70 animals. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you know, farm fam- families, they're concerned about the economic survival if, if they were to reduce that. I know you're, you're saying you're hopeful of something by the end of the week. I mean, I was reading, it depends across what paper you're reading, but I was reading, I think it was in the examiner, that the agriculture minister, uh, they, they failed to reach agreement uh, yesterday. I think there's one more cabinet meeting tomorrow. And if it's the no decision, it could be delayed until September. And I think that's exactly what farmers don't want. They need to know where they're going. They do. And the um, I think the party leaders are involved as well now. So, you know, I, th- I think we will see. I, 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 my feeling, I'm getting is that there will be some agreement and the hope is there will be anyway before the end of the week. And at that stage, then um, we'll have to all work very hard. Now, it'll get back down to the detail then. What does the detail mean here? Yeah. What does it actually mean practically on every farm? I have gone through a number of issues here. I, I, I did say, for instance, that where anaerobic digestion is concerned, we're way, way behind even Northern Ireland in this. We've got upper game there. That will reduce uh, the methane um, um, uh, 
exposure quite a bit. And there's lots of other stuff we need we can do as well. The mixed ward species, the photovoltaic, um, the different breeding systems, a different form of um, feed for animals. I know in New Zealand they're doing a lot of work in Tigers doing it here as well, introducing a seaweed additive to the feed, and that reduces the methane as well. So there's a whole lot of different things we need to do here. Um, well, we need to start doing it. I mean, Pat, we do. Pat, we do. Uh, Pat is farming in the North Cork area. He said, we don't know the detail of what has been asked of us and that is adding to the stress and the worry. And Peter said, uh, David Stanton voted through the climate bill change last uh, year. What is, ha- what is happening is an inevitability. It was bound to happen. But you're, you're not a climate denier. No, God, no, absolutely yeah. not. And farmers aren't either, to be fair. Uh, but, but we need to make sure that when we bring forward the, the, the um, methods to reduce the greenhouse gases and the emissions and so on, that we look at a whole lot of different ways of doing it. It's not just the one kind of simplistic view, let's call the, call the health and that's the end of it, and that'll sort it. There are a whole lot of other things we can do which, which actually will benefit our country in a, bigger, in a, in a huge way. Like we, we saw in the last few days um, the CRU were talking about uh, a danger of uh, energy shortages in the winter, something that I'm quite concerned about. Now the more photovoltaic we have in our, even in the winter time, that produces electricity all year round. And if you have battery storage, you can store it and then feed it into the grid at peak times. Now, farmers want to do that, and they want to be supported in doing that. And that's something I, I mean, if you go into these um, photovoltaic solar panels on every farm shed, uh, we need to do the same here. Yeah, and yeah. and our, our sunlight, even though people mightn't think it, I, I have photovoltaic in my own house at home, and it's amazing. I mean, it really works. Yeah, we had, we had an expert on recently. You don't, well, it would be lovely to have a brilliant sunshine every day, but it works even if it's cloudy. It does, yeah. yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. You, 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 all right, all right this, this certainly isn't the end of this. We, no. we'll, and hopefully, as you say, some agreement before the end of the week. Listen, David, we leave it there. Thank you for thanks that. Thanks for that. Cheers. And bye uh, bye. thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Fine Gael, Cork East Dáil Deputy David Stanton 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Now yesterday on the programme while discussing the case of the elderly Roscommon man who's been court ordered to put his little Jack Russell terrier to sleep following the dog nipping a woman who was passing by the house many callers spoke about the heartbreak of losing a much loved dog well dog Trust, which of course is one of this country's largest dog welfare organisation, is calling on employers to offer compassionate leave to staff who suffer the death of a pet. And Karina Fitzsimons of Dogs Trust joins me to outline more. Good morning to you, Karina. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks so much for having me. Well, on. you're very welcome. When a much loved pet dies, can you almost equate it to a family bereavement? It really depends on the person, their personal circumstances and the bond that they've had with their dog. We um, surveyed nearly 3,000 people and 51% of those said that losing their dog, their dog dying, was like or worse than a family member passing on. And then a further 38% on top of that said they were totally taken aback by how much grief they felt when their dog passed away. Yeah, because I, I suppose it's hard for non-pet owners, for people who never had that bond with a dog, to understand what that grief is like. It is, and I think the easiest way to describe it is, no matter what kind of relationship you have with another human, be it a partner or a friend or your mom or your dad or brother, 
some stage in their life, they're going to say something to upset you, even if they don't mean it. It could be your waist, your haircut, your car, your friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. And you go home and you cry or you get a bit angry and get in a huff with them and don't speak to them for a week or two. But no matter how perfect your relationship, somebody is definitely going to say something that will upset you. But when you look at a dog, you go to the shops for two and a half minutes and come back and they have a concert. It's like, woohoo, she's home. And they do a little dance. They bring a toy in their mouth. They just think you're amazing. They don't care what you weigh. They don't care what you earn. They don't care what you look like. They just absolutely adore you. They rely on you for everything. You are their whole entire world. They could not survive without you. And to suddenly have that taken away, it just leaves a huge hole in your heart. And I think that's the easiest way to describe it to non-dog owners who haven't shared that bond. It's just the suddenness of having that yeah. unconditional love just taken yeah, away from and you. You've, and you've described that unconditional, that's what it is, it's just unconditional love. And I believe at Dogs Trust, you do offer staff time off if, if a dog dies. We do. If um, one of our employees, um, if their dog passes away, we give them a, a day's compassionate leave. Yeah. I know. And I think the whole, like, the whole point of this is, I know some people have, you know, worried, oh, could this system be abused? And, you know, the, the cost of living crisis at the moment, you know, how would employers afford this? And I think the thing to really note is that dogs, on average, live about 12 years. So technically, you know, you're probably giving an employee a day or two off every 10 or 12 years. So it's not like it's going to be a regular occurrence. And I think the whole point of this, us being able to have this conversation, is because we've asked for this day. And it's more of a recognition because not everyone will want to take it. Some people will want to keep busy. They just don't want to be alone with their thoughts and when they're grieving so badly. So it's more just, if I saw personally an employer offering a day like this, if I was going to take another job, it would mean a lot to me as a person. And I would think, oh, these are a nice you know, bunch or a nice crowd to work for. And I think as well, when people are grieving, they're embarrassed and they feel guilty because there's so many things going on in the world that they think, you know, God, who am I to have the right to feel like this about an animal? And they're then embarrassed or ashamed to talk to anyone about it. So they they try and stuff down all these feelings. And that just compounds their grief because they can't actually talk about it. And we just saw an outpouring yesterday on our Facebook page um, from people just writing comments underneath, uh, you know, about the, the passing of their dog. And then other people jumping straight in to say, I felt that too and I hope you're okay. And it was yeah. it was honestly, even though it was emotional, it was one of the nicest days we've ever spent on social media just to see everyone well supporting each other. Well it was done. brilliant. Yeah, it was because, really because I thought as well, you know, on, on, the, on the survey that you, you quoted, the number of people who were surprised at the level of grief they suffered when, yeah. when the dog passed away. Yeah. I don't think people expected um, because it's just, you know, when a human dies, you have a funeral, you have people knocking around, giving you, you know, making you meals and everyone gathers around for a few days. Now, obviously, it's tough, you know, in the weeks afterwards and months afterwards and people go again. But when it's in a pet dies, it's kind of just you. Like, you know, no one else knows that what that relationship was like by you. And there is no kind of ritual. There's no kind of, you know, organisation. There's no set things that have to be done. And I think that's why people can sometimes, there's no... Um, almost like a schedule or, you know, events to kind of, okay, we'll do this and then this happens. And you're just kind of aimless in your grief and you don't really know what to be doing with yourself. So we have a section on our website. It's dogstrust.ie. It's forward slash not just a dog. And it has five different sections. And they go through all the different things. One is, uh, you know, if you 
want to consider euthanasia and you're thinking about it, the questions to ask yourself and your vet, you know, to establish if your dog still has that quality of life. Then there's advice for Sabina, Dr. Sabina Brennan, she's a psychologist and neuroscientist, and it's advice on how to cope with your grief. And we also have a section on how to explain this to children and another section on making memories um, with your dog. And oh. Your dog doesn't have to be ill to do yeah. a lot of these things. It's just nice things that you may do over your dog's lifetime. So when they do pass on, you have these things to look back on. And it really, really helps because when my last dog died, I got a, a scrapbook made and I put got all these photos in and left space underneath. And I wrote all these little memories a few months after he passed on and I could actually do it without destroying the pages of tears. <laughs> and it, every so often I take it out and I, I read some of the things I've forgotten about and the little stories and the mischief he got up to. And it just makes me smile because it, he was just such a wonderful dog. And there's probably things I would have forgotten about if I hadn't actually done all that. So that in itself can help. But that's the, a nice, there's so that's, much information that's on the a nice suggestion. How long on average, Karina, can it take to get over the loss of a dog? Well, my last dog died seven years ago and sometimes I can't talk about him without bursting into tears. So it really just depends. Yeah. I think it depends on you, your life, the dog, you know, what the situation was. I adopted my dog when he was quite old and he was only given six months to live and I had him for over three years. Well so I think it's just, you know, it's the, it, it just really depends. Some people don't have children. Some people live alone. Some people just love dogs. So it just depends on so much. But for some people, it can be years and you can even get other dogs in the meantime and still have that, that you know, sense of loss for that particular dog. Because when you get a dog, no matter how long or how short after your last dog has died, you're not replacing them because they're individual characters. So if you get another dog, it's because you love dogs. It's not actually to replace the dog who's gone because you'll never be able to do that. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's, sometimes people yeah, feel that's, guilty about that too. Yeah, that's think. like asking yeah. you know a parent to choose who's your favourite child. So it's just, exactly, you know, you, yeah. You, you know, yeah. And, and you mentioned having to put a, you know, a much-loved dog to sleep, euthanasia. Mm. That's mm-hmm. very difficult, isn't it? It is the most difficult, well, one of the most difficult things you will ever have to do or decide. And it's just, in one way, it's it's, it's an honour that we can do that for a dog. We don't have to watch them suffer. We, we were able to, you know, reward their unconditional love towards us with us ensuring that they never have to live, you know, a life of pain or go through all of that. So that's why we have the section on the website is considering euthanasia. And there's lots of things in there to think about because... Sometimes, for example, if you're with a dog all the time, you might not notice they're, you know, they're starting to get more lame or, you know. So it's good to, to actually look at that because there's questions there to, that will constantly make you think, is my dog enjoying life? Is he going for a walk? Is he eating? Um, but I think it's, it's human nature and it's something that I wish I knew at the time is that even though it's the right thing to do, it doesn't make it any easier and you will question yourself afterwards, did I do it too soon? Did I not do it? Um, you know, in time, should I have noticed things earlier? Was it the right thing to do? And it is, but it still doesn't stop you being a human being and questioning yourself because that's what we do. And if you knew that other people thought that and you could say it out loud to someone else and they said, oh yeah, that happens to everyone, that's what we all think, mm. it would just help you in that process. And I think that's why we've called for this day, it's to get this conversation going so people can actually feel they can talk about this without being ridiculed. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I know veterinary practices uh, and we've heard lovely stories uh, over the years in from local vets who yeah. really uh, treat people so well and with such kindness when, the, when, you know, it has to be done on the day that the injection has to be given. 
Absolutely, Patricia. I used to be a veterinary nurse myself and people would think that, you know, when when you do this quite often that it, be, it becomes easier and I actually found the opposite. I, I had been known to, I remember one particular gentleman came in with an elderly man with a dog and he, he told me that all of his friends who'd had their dog put to sleep had died a few weeks later and I had to, I had to just pretend something had happened and leave the room and I was in the bathroom bawling my eyes out and um, he rang then two weeks later and asked for me and said, Oh, I just want to let you know, because I knew you were in the toilet crying. I thought I did a great job of hiding it. And he said, I just got a Jack Russell puppy and I'll be down in two weeks to have him vaccinated. I knew you were worried about me. And I'll just, I'll never forget that phone call as long as I live, because all I thought about for those two weeks was that poor man, is he okay? <laughs> so your vet and your vet nurses do care. Please don't ever think if you go in that this is just a job or, you know, that they'll be okay afterwards. They mightn't cry in front of you, but they probably will later on to themselves because it's hugely emotional for them as well. They find it, yeah, absolutely. They find it really difficult. Deirdre and Bandon said their family pet passed away uh, a few years ago. She said, we were all desperately upset. She said, my biggest problem was trying to comfort uh, our our children. My workplace got to hear what had happened and they offered me time off work. Uh, Well done because they knew I was grieving. That really is, that really is terrific. And come here, Karina, in the introduction, I mentioned that story out out of Roscommon. How do you feel about that story of that elderly gentleman who's been ordered to put the dog to sleep because he, he, he nipped somebody passing? We don't actually know all of the facts ourselves. It's just I've just heard one or two things on social media, so I don't want to weigh in on, on, on how Dogs Trust feels about it without knowing all the facts. But obviously anybody having to, to lose a pet, you know, no matter what the circumstances are, it's absolutely awful, especially for elderly people who that might be their only companion. So, it, you know, it's just to... To have that taken away from you, it's just awful. But unfortunately, sorry, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, for, that's, that, that, that is fair enough. That is fair enough. And I'm very conscious that it is before the courts as well. Somebody else says, could you ask Karina, how soon should you get a replacement dog after losing a much loved pet? Well, as I said, I don't think you can you can replace the, the dog. But if you'd like to get another another dog, I think it really depends on you and your circumstances. Like if you have children, I know it can be really devastating for for kids, and they may want you know another dog in the home. It might, may help them cope. Um, but I think if 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 like say for example, if you only have one dog and you come home, I know when my last dog passed away because I just had one at the time. I came home and it was the silence, the utter silence. The house is like a mortuary, and I could not cope with it. So I actually ended up getting a dog about five weeks later. Um, and then I adopted another dog so now I have two of them so I know if anything ever happens one of them I will still have a dog in the house because I don't think I could ever go through that again it was oh, it was unconsolable it was awful it was absolutely awful all right, I can see so many people texting in with their own stories now. And as you say, it's a little bit like what you spoke about yesterday. There's just an outpouring of people remembering their own dogs, including uh, John uh, says, terrific idea on behalf of Dogs Trust. Well done. My dog died six years ago and I'm still heartbroken every time I think of uh, her. So, yeah, I mean, the, it just sums up. There is no... But isn't it lovely yeah. that- like to see especially and I know I hope this doesn't sound sexist but it's lovely to see even men are coming out and talking about their feelings on this particular subject and I think it's really important because we used to have this kind of image of men that they weren't supposed to admit when they were upset and I just think it's lovely to see men in particular coming out and, and talking I'm about it well as well. Well done. Okay listen Karina thank you for that and uh, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Karina Fitzsimons of Dog Trust. I say you can go onto their website, not just a dog, if you want to get uh, further information on the bereavement and loss of a much-loved pet. John Paul's taking your calls. 0818-103-103. We're going to take a break and we have news at 11 after these. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I have to say, huge, huge uh, reaction to our piece with Dogs Trust and this call by Dogs Trust for employers to consider giving compassionate leave to an employee if they suffer the loss of a much-loved uh, pet. And so many people sharing their own stories of losing uh, a dog. Mike in Bantry makes an interesting one. He says, Patricia, I think owning a dog is actually very good for people who suffer from depression, bipolar disorder or loneliness. And Mike also believes that difficult dogs suit difficult people. No, I don't quite know what he means about difficult dogs, but Mike firmly believes that it does help with uh, depression. It certainly helps with loneliness. So many people will tell you that people who live alone who have a dog, that the dog is companionship to them uh, as well. And uh, John says he, he, he really hopes that the woman who is looking for the little Jack Russell Terrier in County Roscommon to be put down is listening to Dogs Trust this morning. It might help her to change her mind. And says, I buried my two boxer dogs last year. I miss them so much and that's even a year on. Teresa says, Patricia, as you're talking about dogs, uh, yesterday evening I was on the N20, I was near Rathduff and there was a lost dog running up and down the road so I stopped. As I'd seen a photograph of a missing dog that was similar to the dog that I was watching running up and down the road. But just as I went to pull in, two other ladies in two different cars had stopped also trying to help this dog on the busy road. The kindness of people to animals, unbelievable. Now, at least he went off the busy road, but he did get a bit spooked and nobody was able to actually catch the dog. I did contact the people who were looking for him, but he must have gone up through the fields, says Teresa. So I don't know if he's been returned or not. But uh, Teresa said the kindness of people when it comes to animals is lovely. Paula in Dungarvan says a lovely tribute to your pet when they pass away is to give a home to a new pet. It's not a replacement, but it's a tribute to their memory. And Karina, in fairness of Dogs Trust, says the same thing, that a new dog coming in will never take away from the other other dog. But it is certainly, that's a nice way of putting it, Paula. It is a nice uh, tribute. Hi, Patricia. My beautiful dog passed away five weeks ago. I am in bits. I can't breathe when I think he's no longer around I still have the scent on his blanket. It really is heartbreaking. And you see, that's, I think, the whole point. And it was one of the things that I was trying to get across with with Karina. It's only when you've had that unconditional love and when you've had that connection with a pet, it's only then that you can understand what other people are talking about when they lose a much-loved pet. Because I saw somebody contact... John Paul when we were doing the interview John in Mitchellstown and he says you can't compare the losing of a pet to a human being you can always get another dog whereas you can't replace a human uh, being he would be against the idea of any employer offering somebody a day off after a pet dies he accepts yes that pets are valuable but you can't compare them to humans well, I, do, I don't think anyone was comparing them to humans John but I think the point that Dogs Trust were trying to put out was that the grief that people 
people suffer. And when they surveyed and they surveyed, you know, thousands of people and when they surveyed people who'd lost a much loved pet, they equated the bereavement on how the person felt was similar to the loss of a member of the family. So I don't think anyone is comparing saying, you know, would put a dog over a human being, even though you will hear some people say that they're more attached to their dog than they are to some members of their family. But nobody is compare, comparing one against the other. John, I think you kind of misunderstood what Dogs Trust are trying to get across. Hi, Patricia. Uh, listening to the lady now, my feelings exactly. It is so heartbreaking when you lose your pet. I've lost several pets through illnesses and old age over the years and now I'm faced with my five-year-old Labrador who's had major surgery for cancer. Is okay at the moment but there's no guarantee that the cancer won't come back again. I love my dogs and I agree with Katrina from Dogs Trust. They love you unconditionally. I really hope that woman who is pushing for the man in Roscommon to have his little Jack Russell put down will cop on and give up this foolish case to have the dog uh, put down because this elderly man is so attached uh, to this uh, dog. Hi Patricia I don't get to, I didn't get to comment yesterday on that dog issue but just to let you know I did sign the online petition to save the dog. I can't understand why all the fuss bringing litigation is a lengthy process to achieve the destruction of an animal is a horrific outcome. Um, happiness must be f- that gentleman Donald's happiness must be factored into the equation because at the end of the day he is an 85 year old uh, man and it does appear I, I can't find out for sure but it does appear as if he is living on his own and that so there is a huge companionship with that dog as well 0818 103 103 our lines are open C103 Jobs Scaffolder is wanted for a job in Bishopstown. You must have a safe pass manual handling CSCS card jobs. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com or call 087-165-0527. The White Horse and Balancolic, they've got a vacancy for an experienced food server. CVs to careers at whitehorse.ie. Full or part-time Arctic truck driver required for a large tillage farm in South Cork, 87 2537871 and a part time sales assistant is wanted for Crystal Earth in Mallow. Email Elizabeth at sales at crystalearth.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Questions have been raised over the environmental implications of removing waste material from a West Cork Harbour dredging scheme hundreds of kilometres away by truck to Port Leash. To find out what's going on at Cork McSherry Harbour, I'm joined by local Fine Gael Councillor John O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, firstly, these dredging works, they are long overdue, aren't they? Absolutely. Look, we've been years try- trying to get them going and there was... There were there were holdups over getting um, a foreshore license from the department and getting EPA approvals for this, and uh, you know it, it it has been a nightmare for, for users, for boat users, for the harbour users down there. The pontoon was was at low water, was sitting on, on silt 
and it need, it needs to be moved, it needs to be shifted, and th- this is the result of, uh, I suppose, a, a protracted effort with Carl County Council, and w- once they decide what they had to do, then we we all have to chip in and, and make representations to get funding for us. So, thankfully, we we were able to get that. But the reality is here is that um, when they were, in order to get the foreshore licence and, and the EPA approval, they had to do... Um, Sampling of the of, of the silt, yeah. and what showed up in the silt, there were hydrocarbons. Now, I'm not the, the most technical in the world on these things, but they hydrocarbons are, are, are categorised as hazardous waste. So, in order in order to comply with with environmental legislation, it has to be taken to, to a licensed um, facility to process. And is it is it true? It, it's it's to do with what it's to do with the paint that's used on the hull of boats. That that primarily yes, and and if if this was in in, in the the channel, I wasn't somewhere close to the pier, it wouldn't be such an issue seemingly. But because boats alongside the pier, they 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 hit the the pier itself, and they hit off one another, and they're just chipping a paint. And as I understand it, the hydrocarb includes lead, uh, which which is which is a, a hazardous subject or a substance, and that. It's very heavy, so that it falls straight in, onto the sand and has to be has to be uh, processed at a licensed facility. And is Port Leash the nearest licensed Port facility? Port Leash is, is the only facility in Ireland. Only, okay. If if the, if we weren't going there, uh, it could go as far as Germany or Holland, and you imagine what what the cost would be then. So, that, as far as I'm concerned, and I've been working very hard on this, is that is that we try to maximise the size of the trucks to take the load to Port Leash that is as big a load as possible, and that we reduce the the carbon footprint on that. Because, yeah, the report says 150 truckloads. Will it be as much as that? 159, I think, is oh. the number I had so far. It's going to take a number of weeks to do. Uh, but it, that, that we, that's, I, I, I take it that that's rigid trucks, which would be 20 tonnes. If we can get Arctic trucks, take it to be 30, maybe 32 or 33 That would, that would reduce That it. would reduce So, the so number, while, the while we're worried about the environmental impact of all these trucks on the road, the reason that it has to be done is is very much an environmental reason. Well, I mean, the, the, there's a number of things you can do. You can, you can dump it at sea, but if it's a, if you have a hydrocarbons and if you dump it at sea, I mean, we have, we have lovely fish come in there. We have a lovely fish shop open up in the last couple of years. Do we want to contaminate the fish or have any danger of doing it? The, mm. the other mechanism is, is you land spread it, and if you spread it on land and there's... And there's um, uh, hazardous waste in it, we're going, to, we're going to do damage to the land. So, look, the reality here is we couldn't do it unless the EPA approved it. The EPA wouldn't approve the licence unless it was taken to a, to a, a facility. And look, we're caught between a rock and a hard place, and and it just has to be done. It has to be done for the for the fishermen in Cotmac, for the tourists in Cotmac, for the lifeboat in Cotmac. And uh, you know, I suppose look, I know this statement was made at, at a public meeting. I think last week for starting, unfortunately, I couldn't be there to attend a funeral of a friend of mine, but. Um, I would say, you know, sometimes making making statements and and, and hyping up, uh, I suppose, fear, isn't the best for some of these things because at the moment we're 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 expecting in Cotmichelly to get a new lifeboat next year. There will be a requirement for a for a, a sit-on pontoon for that. A foreshore license got to be applied for that. We don't want to undermine the process and maybe make make that process more difficult by putting out uh, wrong statements. The reality here is we're we're complying we're complying with the legislation with what the EPA are requiring us to do. 
and this dredging work, as I said at the outset, is long overdue. Have we a date on when it's due to commence? The 8th of August. It was supposed to start in June, but the previous job dragged on a bit. And I was very anxious and I made the point very strongly that we, we needed to let the festival and, and the summer season to, to pass by. So it, the festival will be, will be over. It'll start the 8th of August. How long? It it should be done in three weeks. Okay, that's what you about. We can do it in that much. I think it has to be done by September anyway because to, to comply with the licence. So we're, we're up against the tail end of it, but at the same time, I, I think, I think I, I'm think i happy enough for that. We okay. need to let people enjoy themselves. For okay, the summer, you know? I, and I, actually, I was calling out yesterday on the community diary about various things that are happening. Festival is in full swing. Is it going well? Going well, now in fairness, I, I, I would suspect maybe crowds are back a bit, but maybe I'm thinking of last year, there are people that are using up vouchers that they had going abroad and holidays, and that, so that's bound to have an impact, but it's, it's a lovely weekend, and look, people love it. Cork City, Bandon, uh, Kinsale, Dublin, people are all over Ireland, know about Cork McSherry, and, and they come for, for the festival weekend. Yeah, and it's, it's great, great fun. It is, it is great the fun. The big thing I see is I, I love to see the children having fun on the street. I think that makes the festival yeah. fun for everybody. 100%, you know? 100%. And there was also a bit of good news for new houses for Cork yes, Mac. This is the, uh, the Arden Grainer site. That's right. We were, we, I, I, I was co-opted back to the council in 2017 and then we, we got the, the state one approval for that in May of that year. But at long last, yesterday I got to confirm that the work is to, be, is to begin on the site to build uh, 17 county council houses with uh, with a view to having them be delivered by, by the end of next year. So it's good news again. That's great news. Okay. Shelley has had a has had a history as well back from, from the 60s of having regular housing schemes, county council housing schemes. They've, they've been a great benefit in, to, to the village. They've ensured people have housing there. And, you know, this, this, this is another one to, to, to add in here, and I'm, I'm delighted to see it going ahead. It, 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 it'll be good. For, it, it brings families to the village. It, it, it keeps life in the village. It, 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 it's a fantastic thing to do. So it, it's fantastic news. Good news. Good news. OK, and just very finally, before I let you go, because I know you're on a deadline, uh, we, had, we had a call in this morning about a large dead fox that had been placed on the sign coming into Timoleague from the Clonakilty side. You know, one person was saying, Patricia, this is dis- despicable uh, behaviour. A beautiful village and incidents like this very unfair particularly tourist uh, time and, and this has happened before not necessarily in Timber League but we've seen this happen before I think it was Lep last year had it as well Lip and Ross Carby had yeah. it as well. This is the third one. They're along the Wild Atlantic Way. I, I, I don't, I don't understand the logic or the mindset. Like if you, if you killed an animal with a car, it's the last thing you want to do. But to go and hang it up on the sign going to a village, I, I think you know it's obscene to be honest with you. Dreadful, dreadful. It's, it's, it's not nice for the village, and you know it's not respectful to, to, to the fox. Now I, I hope the fox wasn't, wasn't killed purposely just to do it. I, I'm not aware of the situation was that, but certainly. I think people could be doing better than than that. It's it's not nice for the for the local village. It's not nice for Westcock, and it's not a nice news story to be getting out there for for an area that's dependent on on, on tourists and trying to develop a tourist industry. It's not something that we'd like to see develop. And, and what I, happens then? Is it just a local resident will go out and remove it, or does the council well, get involved? Cork County Council removed the fox yesterday. Oh, did and, they? Okay. I suppose that they did yesterday. Okay, well done. In, in fairness, uh, Noel Westenthal was was very quick after Mark when, once once the news got out, and he, and he removed it. And look, Cork County Council all over West Cork are very good at that kind of thing, and uh, they're proactive and and they respond very quickly to to these kind of things. But I, I would say, and I hope, if whoever is, and you know, I, I'm not so sure, but if the person that did it or the people that that have done either or any of the, of these. If they're listening, look, they just not do it. It's not helpful it's to horrible. anybody. It's horrible. disrespectful to, 
to people and, and to the animals. And look, it, it's just... It I think for children, that. it's shocking for children uh, to have absolutely. to witness that. It's bad enough absolutely. if you drive by and there's a yes. dead fox on the side of the road. It's difficult yeah. enough. And we all know we've had children in the car and you're trying to distract yeah. them so they won't see the dead animal. But to That's see like, that, it's just shocking. And I, I can say I spoke to Noel yesterday afternoon and that he said like it was freshly killed. It wasn't as if it was found. Someone just hung up it was freshly killed. So, mm. you know, freshly dead, dead, should we say so. Oh, no. Look, it's something so, that shouldn't happen and I, I would appeal if, if anybody is listening, if they either are or know the people who do this, just tell them to, to, to stop doing it. It's yeah, not something stop. to do. All right, listen, we'll let you away, John. Thank you for that and thanks All for right. joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning, Chair. That is uh, Court McSherry-based Cork County Councillor Fianna Gales, John O'Sullivan, 0818 Now, yesterday on the programme, it was Jim in Cork City contacted us because he was made aware that B- Balabui Horse Fair, he says it's normally on on the Tuesday and Wednesday every year in the in the month of July, is it? Is it July or August? But he said this year he's noticed that the fair has changed to Friday and Saturday. And he said this is a break with tradition. And why are they breaking with tradition? We need to keep our traditions alive. It's normally in um, August. Um, OK, now just uh, Councillor Deirdre Kelly joins me uh, on this issue. Good morning to Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. OK, firstly, the tradition behind Balabui, uh, when does it normally take place? Well, it would normally take place the Friday before the August bank holiday and run through to the Wednesday after the bank holiday weekend. Okay, so it's across a full weekend. It would be, or even more, it's almost a week, really. Um, Yeah, it would be from the Friday evening through to the following Wednesday. Okay, so what's happening this year? Um, Well, I suppose it would would span from the Friday um, to the Wednesday, as I said, and this would obviously coincide traditionally with builders' holidays and a lot of expats returning for the summer season. Um, however, the committee were kind of cognizant of the fact that the numbers were dwindling on the Tuesday and Wednesday and this really was a result of the fact that, there, that um, builders' holidays were no longer traditionally on an, on an August bank holiday weekend. So um, that accounted for the, the dwindling. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
numbers on the Tuesday and Wednesday because obviously people were going back to work. So the committee took the decision to run it over the course of the weekend from the Friday through to the Monday afternoon. All right, but it's still kicking off on the traditional Friday. And still kick you off on the Friday. Yeah. The only difference is that fair, fair night will now be on Friday and fair day will be on Saturday. And we'll also have busking on Saturday as well. OK, so it's it's different to Caramie Horse Fair, which is always on on the 12th of July, and unless the 12th of July falls on a Saturday or a Sunday. The old tradition stays in place. Nobody organises it. But we is slightly different in that there is a committee who's organising it. Well, there's a committee that organises events to take place. Um, the race committee, well, I'm, I'm on the Chamber of Commerce and I'm obviously an elected representative, so I, I help them out in relation to this. Yeah. Um, but we organise busking, we organise Ladies' Day, we organise live music in, in the um, town square on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And um, the fair itself, because it's a, it's a market town and a fair town and it's been going on for over 400 years, the fair pretty much runs itself as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we never know if they're going to if they're going to turn up or with not. the horse to trade exactly. the horses exactly. or not. Yeah, that's part of the colour of a days uh, like this. And um, I'm I'm intrigued to hear you say that the build the traditional builders holiday is that gone completely, do you think? Well, look, I, I'm not sure if it's gone in, in respect of every um, business uh, in, in West Cork. However, it has gone in a, um, in a lot of businesses and we certainly noticed that numbers were dwindling, as I said, on the Tuesday and Wednesday. So um, it was decided, well, the, the race committee decided to confine it to the weekend and have, have as much as possible on to entertain people over the course of that weekend. Yeah, and you're back again to volunteers, aren't you? It's all volunteers who get involved organising all, all of these events. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, listen, thank you for that. And um, you're one and all welcome to go along to, to Balnebury oh, this year. Absolutely. Balnebury returns after a number of um, years being cancelled after the, the pandemic. So we're hopeful that um, it will be well attended and that everyone who attends will have a lovely weekend. Okay. All right, listen, Deirdre, we thank you. Thank you, we thank you for that. And th- thank you, Patricia. And thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning you. to you. That is uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien joining us. Jo- or Deirdre Kelly, my apologies, just explaining what is happening with uh, Balabui. It's just going to be a shorter festival this year and good luck to everybody, particularly the committees. Committees work really, really hard at organising these festivals and we're always trying to encourage as many people as possible. If you have any kind of a festival or any kind of an, an event or a field day, whatever it is going on, please, please support us because the amount of work that goes into those events really is uh, staggering. But uh, let me know if you are a builder, the old traditional builders holiday. It used to be the first, yeah, the builders holidays kicked off always in Ireland, wasn't it? On the weekend of the August Bank holiday and then there will be a complete shutdown for two weeks. Is it still respected in many places? Is the tradition still there? Or is that another tradition that has simply gone? Your thoughts are welcomed on that to 0862103103. You can text or you can uh, WhatsApp. And John Paul's taking your calls. Still getting in commentary about the loss of much-loved pets. It's interesting, this debate that's kicked off from Dogs Trust. And even to hear Katrina 
Karina from Dogs for Trust saying that when they put it up on their own social media, the outpouring of love of people remembering a much loved uh, pet. It was one of their greatest days from the social media point of view. While sad to read people's stories, but it was a chance for people to remember their dogs. And Mike and Bantry was back on to say when he was the person who had suggested that owning a dog is very good for people with depression or bipolar uh, illness. And he had difficult dogs with difficult people and didn't quite understand. He meant that it should have been different dogs suit different people glad to clarify that uh, Mike thank you hi Patricia 14 years ago our beautiful dog uh, died my son's boss in Dublin told him go home the day before the dog died and take as long as he needs he took a couple of days what a kind boss and that was at a large pharmaceutical company isn't it great so there are there are definitely because we've heard that from a few others there are definitely businesses who really are recognising that when a much-loved pet dies that their employees may need some time off. Hi Patricia, I love my dogs as much as I love any human being. In fact, sometimes I think I'm closer to my dogs. <laughs> There's a number of people would agree with you on that. And hi Patricia, two years ago we had to get our special needs family member a much-loved dog or we had to put him to sleep due to illness and old, old age. Now the family members wanted their dog put to sleep in their home and the vet was so kind and professional he did it. Oh my God, how, how heartbroken they all were for months after that beloved dog. Even to this day, they speak about that dog. My heart goes out to that gentleman in Roscommon about the very idea that he may have to put his little Jack Russell to uh, sleep. Sleep. Uh, thanking you for your programme. I did say that when I was speaking with Karina from Dogs Trust. We've heard, like over the years, we would hear from people saying that they had to go to their vets because their dog had to, had to be put uh, to sleep. And just the way the vet and the veterinary nurses and how everybody handled it was just really, really uh, lovely. And I have heard of vets doing that as well. If, you know, if it's a particularly sad case and maybe there's a lot of family members involved with, with the unconditional love of a particular pet, that they'll actually come to the house and, and they'll do the, they'll give the administer the injection that's needed at home. So well done. 0818103103. There's just one final uh, one, I think I saw. Uh, no, I'll leave it there and we'll get back to in a minute. There's so many texts uh, coming in. Okay, you can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. For the last year or so, singer songwriter Hank Widell, along with some of his friends, caused a very happy stir in the town of Mallow and indeed the surrounding areas, shooting scenes for a video to accompany his new single. To discuss his summer single called We Are the Rakes of Mallow. Hello. I'm delighted to say Hank Riddell joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Hank. And you're you are very uh, welcome uh, to uh, studio. You can't help but smile when you watch the video, I have to say. And the song is just so catchy. I suppose take me back and tell me your thought process behind putting this song together, which, by the way, we're going to play in a minute. That's great. Uh, the song is centuries old, really. It's emanated from a guy called Pleasant Ned Lysett who was sort of a bohemian songwriter from Limerick, I believe. and uh, Lysett is a great Donnerill name. It is, it's true. But I, I think this guy was from Limerick, and okay. there's a rakes of Limerick as well. But uh, I don't think he wrote that. Okay. But uh, he wrote that song about Mallow, Mallow being what it was in the late 1700s. It was uh, the place where the bathhouses were, the steam, the take the waters of Mallow. So all I ever knew from the song was what, 
pretty much everyone in Malo and my mother and other people would sing Malo, Talo, Capo, Quinn, mm. Donna, Rail, and Charleville, Breaking Windows Upside Down, Hooray for the Rakes of Malotown. And that's, and then I discovered, and you can go to the spa house and see that this is actually a very small snippet of the song, if at all. I mean, that's just a little geography lesson of, of the Blackwater Valley, really. Mm. But the song itself had a, a male version and a female version. So what I did was um, I found both versions. And I looked at it with Declan Sennett, who produced the track. The and wonderful the, Declan Sennett. Yeah, Declan. I, I said it to him, and he said, well, if you're going to do this, he said, it's got to be different from any other version that there ever was. And uh, we got in Mary Green from Greenshine. Yeah. And we sat there uh, in between lockdowns in 2020, and uh, we worked in it. And uh, it came out the way it did, taking the old male version and the old female version, mashing them together. But interestingly enough, I sing the old version of it. Like when it goes rock and roll fast, I sing the bit that goes um, bowing, belling, dancing, drinking, breaking windows. Right? That's really archaic language and stuff. You yeah. know? And I threw it in there and going well, the devil drives. It's all very. Um, and then for the part that Clodagh sings, Mary had looked at the archaic lyrics. She said, we can't do this. <laughs> I can't sing about nymphs yeah. and being depressed and all that yeah, so yeah, yeah. let me rewrite it so she came up with alternative lyrics we gave them to Cloda my niece Cloda May who's singing on the track and dancing in the video uh, with the the dancers from Center Stage all choreographed by David and, and they did a great job and she did a great job nailing this thing where Mary brought it up to date that's you know, it as opposed to that's uh, it you it know, is very up to date that, Cloda's part in particular the slow bits at the start and at the end are based on my experiences of Mallow. I moved here in 74. I'm sure we've talked about this yeah, before. Yeah, we have, yeah. And anyone that's listening you from moved, Mallow. You moved from New York. From from New York. My mother and father moved us all here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the story. So that's, that was your that's your memories of growing up in Mallow. Yeah, once there was a town so sweet with chocolate milk and sugar beet. Yeah. Now, that's the truth when I moved here in 74. And your listeners, a lot of them will remember that. Yeah. You know, so when I was 11, when I moved here, I was moving to a town that had a chocolate factory and a sugar factory. Yeah. And I have to say, I didn't really think about that too consciously at the time. It was just I was moving from New York to my mother's hometown, which I'd been to a few times prior in the mid-60s and the early 70s. But that's what it was. It, it, it had a chocolate factory and a sugar factory. And all that's gone now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you and knew, I'm an older man now. And so if speak, you knew you know. anyone that worked in the chocolate factory, you got a bag of chocolate crumb. Yes, which kept the dentists in, oh. uh, in employment for a long time. That stuff was like, oh. uh, I, can remember, I can remember getting here and it was like, let's go up there and, and, you know, let's get some crumb. Yeah, and, the, you know, and uh, there'd be bags of How it. anyone in Mallow had a tooth left here. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You are right. The, the one thing when, as I say, the video when I saw it for the first time, and, and I've watched it many times since, it's, every time I watch it, it, it makes me smile. Good. It Good. looks like you had great fun putting it together making it recording it I have to credit a couple of people here now okay. first of all I'd like to credit uh, Martin Lucy and David O'Callaghan they're both very prominent prominent in the creation of it and then through Jimmy Howard the photographer I saw uh, Marion Cork from Art from the Heart playing Lady Freemason in Donnerail and I said that looks exactly what I'm looking for yeah. so Marion introduced me to all the people that work with Art from the heart yeah. in Donnerail. And I went and met them. I met Orla and I met Catherine and, and all of them there. Sorry if I don't get all your names in, lads. 
girls. And you, were, you explained what And you, I explained, and I thought... What you were thinking. I, we would take, like, pretend that I was being captured by some sort of vision and being brought back in time to be hanging out with the rakes and the wenches of the time. Yeah. And... Uh, I, th I thought they'd th think it was crazy. And they were like, no, we can do this. Yeah. And they worked up a whole... And the costumes? Yeah. The, that's them. Yeah. That's them. They go for it. I mean, you probably... 100% they go for it. You've probably seen what they do out in Donnerill Park have, anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. that's they're, pretty they're wild. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. Yes, it has been. Yeah. An awful lot of fun. And Declan had a lot of fun. And we had a lot of fun last year. Mallow Arts Festival was on later last year. Yeah. It was on just this past weekend, but it was in October. Oh, no, it was in September last year. And, uh, oh, no, it was, it was Culture Night that we did the, what Yeah, because we it? didn't have an arts festival last year because of, of COVID, because uh, of pandemic had, times. Yeah, it was... Um, we did it Culture Night? We did a Culture Night, yeah, 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 in September. And it was a lot of fun running around the town doing yeah. that. It really was, yeah. yeah. And the, the Christmas scene, obviously, was filmed that at was Christmas done later, the center yeah, stage. the center stage. Well, yeah. it, 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 was, it was terrific. And the reaction, what reaction are, are, are you getting The video is getting a tremendous reaction online. Not, I'm not surprised. And uh, radio stations like yourself, you know, local stations and that, they're picking up and hopefully we'll get some national airplay as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Like, yeah, it's really, it, it is really good. And you're a busy man. You Did I read you're going to launch an album in the autumn of this year? Hopefully we get all the tracks done. We came to Mallow over the weekend, a band I have with Declan and two other musicians, Brian and Andre, and we played a whole bunch of new tracks that I recorded as well as some of my old stuff like Listen and New Yorkers and all this other stuff and a couple of Bob Dylan tunes and we had a great time. So I have a whole album recorded with Declan. If we get it finished, we'll put it out there. Okay. okay. You know? And, and, what, and it, how has life been? That You know, now that things are starting to open back up again and the gigs returning? I played in Charlie's last night Did and you? I always said that once I was playing back in Charlie's regularly that things were somewhat normal again. I mean, everything's been reset and everything is what it is and things are not the same as they were before. But to some extent... You know, in the music world, there's there are things happening. So I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, know? people. I mean, you can never get enough gigs. You can never do enough and yeah. stuff like that. But I, I've been busy enough, thankfully. But people missed live music, didn't they, more than anything during the pandemic? They did. They did. But, and, you know, musicians got very inventive. I did some online things, which I did yeah. very well with. And lots of musicians that I know that did online things. So you had to be inventive and you had to be uh, innovative and you had to get to terms of the technology. And I think that's good all around I mean we could do it without people getting sick but yeah. it's you know this is the way it goes you know yeah and I, I think you're right with, about people getting you know innovative and creative and thinking outside the box and how can we do something I mean even when you look and, and you mentioned it when you look at this the video to go with this you did it in between lockdowns do you know what we I mean? did it in between lockdowns you know what yeah, I mean? that, it, yeah. so therefore there was a lot of extra time probably put into the thought process because you had that time Yes. You know. We, yeah, you had that time. And yeah. uh, for a lot of musicians, well, people that I know, they were, they had done a lot of clearing out of their stuff and rearranging stuff. So I did a lot of that as well at home. I got all my lyrics that are just lying around the place and tapes and, and records and stuff that were just kind of there. And I put them all in a nice order. Okay, well done. Yeah. Well done. Of course, we weren't able to travel was probably the big one. When do you go back to the New, New York very often? Or? I was in New York in 2019. That's the last time I was Before there. Before the pandemic. Before the that pandemic. That was it. Since everything's loosened up this year, I've been away. Uh, I was in Holland and I was also in uh, Dubai. Okay. Playing some music there. Gigging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. As I say, you're a busy man. Yes. And uh, and as I say, here is uh, Hank Riddell and his version of "We Are the Rakes of Mallow." Hank, it's always a pleasure to have you in studio. Thank you for that. And good Thank luck. you. Good Patricia. luck with Thank that you. new album, and we'll talk again when that new album is out. Okay. Thank you very much.
Now, do I have time to this? I do. This is an email that we've had in about the uh, one for all vouchers that says, uh, hi, Patricia, hope all as well. Please allow me to share my experience for you about a one for all voucher. I received a physical one for all voucher as a gift. I got it in the middle of the pandemic. So that was in 2020. So many lockdowns and I'm trying to protect my child and an elderly relative from COVID. I haven't been going to shopping centres, etc. To tell you the truth, I'm not a big fan of shopping online either. Hence, I only tried to use my voucher last Saturday. To my surprise, the credit had all expired. It had consumed, had been consumed up by inactive card fee deducted by all for one themselves. This type of fee used to be annual in the past, but it's changed and it's now a monthly fee. A monthly charge of €1.45 is a total rip-off, in my opinion. Needless to say, the credit in the card was gone completely. And my big surprise, it was that it seems terms and conditions around October of 2020, which, by the way, right in the middle of the pandemic. This is what I gathered from their website. I suppose that was the way One For All found to balance their books, as they might not have been selling many cards during that period. It really upsets me as I've given this type of card in the past to family members, to friends, to teachers as presents. However, in future, I will buy a voucher directly from a particular shop rather than getting a one for all. Just frustrated on how many customers are allowed, I feel, to scam the public in Ireland. Thank you for reading my email. All the best. And that's from uh, Lucia. Now, all for one say their inactive balance charge Lucia is right. It is €1.45 per month on remaining balance on the card. The charge will not apply during the first 12 months following the purchase of the card. So you receive, so Lucia would receive the card. She says in the middle of the pandemic, so she, she got it sometimes, say she got it in June of 2020. So between June of 2020 and June of 2021, all the lockdowns were going on. We were right in the middle of the pandemic. The card would have remained at the €20 euro that it was initially give, given to her. But then, as soon as the 12 months were up, every month after that, the monthly inactive balance charge is applied to the funds remaining on the card. And that's €1.45 a month. So very quickly, the €1.45 a month adds up to the point of your hand in the card and it is completely gone. It's shocking. That is absolutely shocking. I know when we have dealt with vouchers before and gift vouchers before. Do you remember they changed the rules and now they can't put the expiry date. It's five years, isn't it? They've got to, businesses have to allow uh, five years before a card suddenly because we had situations where people went in and the expiry date was six months or the expiry date was a year after purchase of the card. So businesses are not allowed to do that. But I remember at the time Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Affairs Association who was really strong in giving out about these gift cards and how that they could have an expiry date and how the money could disappear itself and the Consumer Association very much campaigned to have the laws changed in this country but I remember talking to him about gift vouchers when the new rules came in but he did say that the one for all it wouldn't include the one for all cards which which truly truly is uh, shocking and I'm really surprised because of the pandemic that they didn't extend that rule the charge where nothing would come off the card for the first 12 months because Lucia is right. Any cards that were purchased any time after, say, March of 2020, certainly all of 2020, 
all of 2021 really was taken up with lots of business businesses being closed. And Lucia is right. Not everybody deals with online. You can use these cards online. But what if you're somebody again? Are we not back to almost the cashless society again? What if you are, you know, the type of person who doesn't use online and you physically want to go and spend it locally? Lucia could be one of those people as well that wants to give the business locally and wants to spend because with the one for all, the one advantage of the one for all cards is that it can be used in such a variety of different places. There's hundreds of different businesses that can be used both online but by physically going into the shop as as well. It is very, very annoying. But I think it's also worth mentioning Lucia's interview as a cautionary tale for anyone else. Have you received a one for all voucher? Did you receive it in the last year or maybe since the pandemic? But certainly in the last 12 months, you need to get moving on spending that card because for the first 12 months, however much is on the card remains on the card. But after that, they start bringing in this. It's an inactive balance charge, which makes absolutely no sense to me. If somebody is buying a gift card in good faith, be it a one for all card or anything else, you hand the money over. The money is paid up front. I can't see why they need to charge an inactive balance charge. It just makes no sense to me. The card was purchased. The money was handed over. You know, why why should there be an inactive balance charge? They don't explain why. And I'm assuming, I don't know if John Paul got on to one for all of that came from their, that from their website, from their website. OK, it doesn't explain what an inactive balance charge, the reasoning for an inactive balance charge. That's not explained at all. But thank you to uh, Lucia for your uh, interview. I would be as annoyed as I can sense you are reading out your email. But let's give it out as a word of warning to anybody else. Check in the drawer. You know, the vouchers that you get and you put it in the drawer and you completely forget about it. Check and see if you have a one for all voucher and if you have, spend it and spend it uh, quickly. Um, Lucia emailing Patricia at c103.ie. Our lines are open 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way after news. We will catch up on a lot of your texts and WhatsApps coming into the programme. And also to remind you that Joe Heffernan is doing a piece. He's got one of those questions, questionnaires, uh, just to see. If there's anybody has a problem with gambling or maybe you live with somebody that you're worried about that may have a problem with gambling, we'll be dealing with that with Joe in the next hour. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I was talking in the last hour about the one for all vouchers and Lucia, bless her heart, all, all for one voucher and all the money had disappeared because she hadn't used the card and we were given it out by, because it's unfortunately it's the terms and conditions of the one for all cards. There's not a lot we can do for Lucia, but we read her email just to flag it up for other people and to warn people. If you do have one of those vouchers, make sure you spend it in a timely manner because once a year passes, the balance starts to decrease. That prompted Patrick in Kilmichael to contact us to say he purchased one of those one for all vouchers. Now he got in his local post office so you can buy them in a number of places but 
predominantly they are sold in the post office he bought one for 200 euro and he gave it to his son which is a rather nice present to give your son Patrick well done his son then went into the post office and wanted to use part of the 200 euro voucher to buy dog licences only to be told that the post office do not take one for all vouchers they sell them but they don't take them which is and I listen and we have dealt with that and I have heard about that before and it does seem pretty ludicrous that you can buy something you can buy one of the vouchers in there but then when you try to spend it you're told you can't it doesn't it doesn't make sense for sure 0818 103 103 on animals passing and dogs trust who are asking employers to give compassionate leave when a much loved pet passes away now a lot of people are out there's an outpouring of people sharing about what it meant to them when their much loved dog uh, died and the majority of people very understanding of others then who lose a much loved pet but not everyone is in favour of giving compassionate leave to somebody when their dog dies including this listener who says Patricia are we going to the dogs looking for compassionate leave for a dog owner when the dog passes away next it'll be a compassionate leave when a cat dies and when a goldfish dies when my mother-in-law passed away I was only allowed one day off as compassionate leave are we putting dogs before humans now again I say no I don't think we are because we have since I did the interview with Karina we had a number of people have contacted us to say that when their pet died and it is predominantly dogs but dogs trust in fairness to them they're asking for the death of a pet they're not specifying just dogs but it is a tendency to be the bond is a tendency to be between dogs and their human owners and that unconditional love but we've had a number of people have contacted us to say that they're the business where they worked gave them time off and understood how upset they were so it's just to get more businesses to think like that but it's not in any way putting comparing dogs to humans or anything like that even though Dogs Trust did say that a lot of people who suffered the loss of a dog said it was like losing a family member uh, Margaret in Tallow says Trish sorry I missed the start of uh, your programme and uh, I was I'll have to catch up on it overnight but I don't agree with John who was another caller who suggested that you can't compare animals uh, to humans I lost my beautiful Sophia on the 10th of May and to be honest I am still heartbroken I would have described her as my best friend dogs can be every bit as good as humans even better at times I've eight more dogs and they are my real family some of them are quite ill I spend every spare penny I have on medication I've cried for five days after the death of my Sophia I have my plan is to get a marble plaque for her when I have the money together I did it for all of my other deceased pets thanking you summing up what pets mean to Margaret thank you Margaret 0818103103 now at the top of the programme I mentioned uh, Hildegard Nocton the Minister with Responsibility for Safety on our Roads is talking about the number of road fatalities we've had this year so far and it looks like we're going to go back to breaking records and we'll have, if it continues if road deaths continue we'll have very high numbers by the end of the year and four four lives have been lost just in the last 48 hours and she said something needs to be done and her plan is to increase double the fines for speeding 
for mobile phone use while driving or for not driving with your safety belt on. And she's planning on bringing these legislation through very quickly so that it would be in place within the coming weeks to try to deter people. Mossy in West Cork says, Patricia, with the increase of car speed on roads, and, and, and by the way, sorry, Hildegard Nocton pointed out to the Road Safety Authority who are saying that a lot of the accidents and road fatalities are attributed to speeding and speed on our road has increased and there's more and more people getting caught either on the fixed speed cameras or caught when the Gardaí go out to do speed uh, checks and there's been 100,000 fines issued so far this year for speed driving while using a mobile phone or not wearing a safety belt and those figures are really high as well so she's trying to do something for that Mossy says with the increase of car speeds on our roads shouldn't the RSA be insisting that somehow engines are incapable engine capacity in our cars be reduced to match the majority of our local road speeds. Mossy says, for example, some cars can drive of speeds of up to 200 kilometres per hour. If the car is capable of doing that, then they can do it on a minor or a major road. Those kind of speeds are outrageous in Ireland. So we should in somehow be limiting the speed at which cars go. I don't know how many people would agree with Mossy on that one. It certainly would slow cars down if, say, the car could maximum only do 120 kilometres and 120 kilometres is the maximum that you could do. You can only do that on a motor at way. But I suppose the argument would be even if you limited it to the 120 kilometres, there's nothing to stop the Egypt in the car doing the 120 kilometres in a 50 kilometre zone. Hi Patricia I think all of these fines are a scam on behalf of the government it's just a scam to get more money out of the normal working uh, people and not even the working people they're taking money everywhere we look prices are going up for food, for clothes, electricity, gas Uh, this to me will just be another cost to the added increasing cost of living. To me it's all a scam just to make money I don't know if the government will agree with you on that, uh, listener, and certainly the RSA won't agree with you on that because they say we need to do something to reduce speeds on our roads. And if that works as an incentive, if it stops one less death on our roads, will it be worth it then? And remember, if you don't speed and if you don't drive while using your mobile phone and if you always wear wear your safety belt, then you've nothing to worry about if they decide to triple or quadruple the fine. It won't matter to you if you're abiding by the speed that you should be doing on the road. You never use your mobile phone while driving and you also have your safety belt on. You don't need to worry about it. Rob in Mallow says, why are speed cameras in locations where they never have accidents? We were told when they first decided to introduce speed cameras that they would be placed in accident black spots. However, On many of our roads, they just seem to be, I feel, says Rob, located to catch people passing out on the fast lane. And Rob in Mallow gives some suggestions. He says on the Cork to Mallow Road, for example, there are only two locations that appear in accident black spots. One is above Mornabby and the other is at Waterloo. But the majority of the time, if you're driving that road, the speed cameras are located at the top and the end of the speed lanes where accidents, according to Rob, never occur. Also, he said in Liscarroll, you'll often see a speed van parked going onto the main road. Again, it's catching those who have to go from 100 kilometres and slow down to 60 kilometres. And at Blackpool, by the Dulux plant, again, 
There's often a speed van there, says Rob, and it's catching people going from 60 kilometres to 50. It's an easy catch. Or is it really about road safety? It's what Connor Faulkner, remember Connor, who used to be with the AA, used to call fishing in a barrel whenever we had Connor on. And if somebody rang in to say they just passed a the speed van and you know it was at the top of the climbing lane or just where this speed went down like that from 60 to 50 it used to enrage Connor Falkland because he always believed it was just fishing in a barrel and it was a money making exercise and that's never what speed cameras were set out to do thank you for your call Rob Imelda in Douglas says yes driving has gone ridiculous and the standard of driving has dropped while I welcome speed cameras there's one location on the South, South Link Road as you drive towards Douglas but the speed van is parked in a location then as you come over the flyover you can't see it until you're on top of it which is fine but I feel it's just to catch those speeding or is it to catch lane hoppers I just feel if they are genuine why not place them in other open locations where accidents do occur kind of similar to the point uh, Tom uh, Robin Mallow is making but Imelda it, it, it can't be used to catch lane hoppers because all the speed camera can do is clock somebody's speed. Now, if you're suggesting when people are lane hopping that they're speeding, then the speed camera certainly will uh, detect that for sure. 0818103103. And earlier there was a text in from Jur to say, Patricia, the prop- this is all to do with driving. The problem is that people don't know how to drive properly today. Why? Because many were never trained properly. Thousands of people never got to sit a driving test. That was, do you remember the time that there was an amnesty for back in the early 80s, wasn't it? And it was anyone who had a third and subsequent driver's licence never to do a test. There was too many on the waiting list and they got an amnesty and they got a full licence instead. No, it can never happen again because EU laws dictate that what the Irish government did then, they're never allowed to do again. You must take physically take a driving test. But anyway, there was thousands of people. I can't remember what the actual figure was, but Jarrah is right. There was many thousands who never sat a driving test. So Jarrah said, what about those people? They never passed a driving test, yet they are driving on the road. He also says the current driving driver testing system also teaches drivers to pass the test, but it doesn't give them any motorway driving experience and it doesn't give them night driving experience. I feel, says Gerard, that that's a dangerous joke. Also, there's no test of eyesight except for new drivers when you're applying for your first licence. I'm 55 and I've been driving now for 35 years and nobody's ever checked my eyesight in all of those years. If the government doesn't change its attitude to driver training and start educating drivers through TV and social media ads, then Gerard feels nothing will change. Well, there has been changes to the way people learn to drive. I mean, if you think back, Jar, when you would have learned, when you would have got your first provisional licence, you just applied for your provisional licence. You may never have sat behind the wheel of a car. There was no force lessons that you had to do. Whereas now, when people apply for their provisional licence, they have to do the 12 recognised lessons with a qualified driving instructor. And the RSA, who introduced all of those, says that definitely is pointing to making sure that people are learning how to drive correctly. Because how many people listening to this programme 
never actually took a driving lesson. They were taught to drive, say, mammy or daddy took them out or an older brother or sister took them out and taught them how to drive. And then they applied for their provisional and they subsequently went on and applied for their driving test. Or maybe they were in that cohort of people that never did the driving test and they never actually took a proper lesson at all. So it has changed. Okay, I accept there is a motorway driving or nighttime driving on it, but certainly the way we teach young people to drive today has changed in the last number of years. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can uh, WhatsApp to 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Bingo will be held in Mallow GAA Complex next Friday night with a jackpot of 2,100 calls. All funds raised go to the running of the team for the coming season. The annual Festival of the Sea that will take place in Castletown Bear kicks off next Friday and runs right through until the following weekend. Please see their social media pages for a full list of events and times. And the Hakishta Festival, that's kicking off 8 o'clock on Friday night with the legendary Graeme Norton table quiz. As always, sold out as soon as the tickets went on sale. Then on Saturday, there'll be a guided walk on the Sheep's Head Way. That's from 11am. There'll be a children's treasure hunt, 2 in the afternoon and road bowling at 5. That's all on Saturday. And then on Sunday, there's water events, including common try kayaking and stand-up paddle boarding. Plus, there's a children's fun day with Bouncy Castle, Kids Disco arts and craft all at the tin pub garden and the donkey sanctuary are inviting people to learn to paint a donkey with a professional artist at the sanctuary in Scarroll next Saturday now there'll be morning and afternoon sessions available it's 50 euro per person but for you for 50 euro you get the canvas the easel the acrylic paints the paint brushes plus refreshments all of them will be supplied and you get an adoption pack worth 25 euro you can book a place through their website www thedonkeysanctuary.ie Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Lots of people still commenting on speeding on our roads. How do we get people to reduce their speed and stop using their mobile phones? Why not have greater Garda presence out on our roads? Says a texter. We maybe don't have enough Garda to do that unfortunately. Hi Patricia, this is from John in Blackpool on all of the road deaths. Wouldn't it be so helpful that when you turn on the ignition in your car, that the technology would be there, that it would knock out the signal to your mobile phone. And then when you switch off the ignition, the signal would, would come back on. Surely they could develop that type of technology, which means you couldn't make or receive a call while, while you're driving and you wouldn't have access to anything on the phone. It certainly makes sense to me, uh, John. Uh, Joe in Kilmalek feels it is more money being taken out of drivers' pockets. Doubling penalty points would be a much better option, says Joe in uh, Kilmalek. Danny in Rathmore says, why not do what they do in Australia? They double the penalty points at bank holiday weekends and weekends where they know the traffic is going to get busy. Every bank holiday we hear the same regarding road safety. But if they're that concerned, then double the penalty points. Leave the money out of it as people only think of it as the government trying to make money. It isn't always about that, but getting double penalty points is far more serious as getting double penalty points could simply put you off the road, which is really true. Thank you for that. Okay, let me just catch up on a few more 
comments. Let me wrap up on some of the texts that are coming in on Rip Off Ireland that I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Aslam. They were talking about the rip off hotel prices in, in particularly in Dublin and it's affecting musical gigs because people are ending up cancelling their tickets because they can't get a hotel bed to stay in. Patricia, why are we only thinking now that this country is a rip-off? It's been like that for years. It's shameful. We've accepted it for so long. It's now embarrassing to hear us being mentioned across the world as being the most expensive for this and that. We are a, a country where we rip off people, rip off Ireland alive and well. Instead of promoting our beautiful nation to the world, we're now highlighted as one of the most expensive places to uh, go on holidays which isn't a nice reputation to have for sure. Hi Patricia my wife went to the UK to visit her mum 10 days ago for a weekend. They stayed in a hotel for three nights, uh, three nights bed and breakfast and flights and the hotel for the two of them was cheaper than staying in a hotel in Dublin for one night. Goodness me. And by the way says this uh, texter it isn't just hotels in Dublin that have put up their prices Others have as well. Hi, Pat- oh, this is going back to the dogs, um, loss of pets. Morris says, hi, Patricia, I love dogs. And when I lost my Skylar after 13 years, I have to admit I was heartbroken, but it was nothing to what I felt when my daughter passed away as a baby. We must get our priorities out. Oh, listen, Maura, my heart goes out to you. The burying a child goes against uh, nature. And I don't think anyone, absolutely anyone, would compare the death of a child or even any human being to the death of a dog. It's just what people have said to Dogs Trust in the survey that they did, that they felt the grief. They weren't expecting to feel the grief that they felt when they buried a much-loved uh, pet. But yeah, no no comparison at all, for sure. Mary says, Hi Patricia, since my dog died, I, w- I, I wasn't able to work. I was so upset. My dog was my companion. And just to couple in on emissions, because we spoke about that at the start of the programme, with the emphasis seemed to be, put in, be, to be put on the agriculture sector and with all fingers being point, pointed at the farmers, that they need to do more to cut the greenhouse uh, admissions I text okay and when I was interviewing David Stanton I did make the point that it is and everybody even within the farming community acknowledges that in this country agriculture contributes the most to admissions to greenhouse admissions of all of the sectors and it's to do with the methane it's to do with nitrates etc 37.5% of all of our admissions come from agriculture and it's the largest larger it's the largest of all of the other sectors. Here's a good valid point from a listener to saying agriculture produces the most in this country because we produce very little CO2 when you compare us to larger countries. Why? Because we're not involved with, we don't have a lot of heavy industries that obviously produce an awful lot of CO2. So in real terms, agriculture produces very little. If you were to compare Ireland to say a country like India or a country like China, whose admissions are absolutely off the richer scale. But I suppose that when it comes to climate change and environmentalists, their argument is that while we might be this tiny country, we all have to do our bit because if every tiny country said, oh, well, we're too small, we don't need to do anything, then the, the problem just simply doesn't go away. But Ross wonders with Eamon Ryan really pushing for the higher level of cuts to agriculture. He wants the 30%. At the moment, they are trying to decide somewhere between 22% and 30%. That's what's been recommended for the agricultural sector 
when it comes to the uh, cuts. He wants the higher rate of 30%. Ross wants to know the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, what does he expect to live uh, on if we stop producing all of our foods if all these cuts are to take place? But again, Ross, he will argue and say that when it comes to beef production, we export 90% of it because we are famed for the for the beef that we produce, that it's so valuable abroad. 90% of it goes overseas. It doesn't remain in this uh, country. And looking at, there's a kind of a brinkmanship seemingly going on between the two sides as they try to work out how much will, what will the cut be for the agricultural sector. I did read in the paper this morning that they seem to be now stuck somewhere between 24% of a cut and 26%. If that be the case, it looks like the cost, the reduction for agriculture would come out at 25%. I don't know how farm, the farming sector, though, are going to feel about that because they're all saying they could work with the 22%, but even having the cuts at 22%, they say that that's going to be a difficult task. So I don't know if the compromise is 25%, somewhere in the middle, how the farming community will accept it. And we're waiting. The negotiations are uh, continuing today and tomorrow with the worrying news that if they don't agree it tomorrow because tomorrow is the last cabinet uh, meeting until they come back in September will we have to wait until September and so many farm families contacting us today making that point that we just need to know we need to know exactly what's going to happen what the cut is going to be and when they decide what the cut is going to be how will that affect individual families that uh, that is the big one and it's the small farm families I think are the ones that are, are the ones that are most worried because I mentioned in my, in my introduction there's a nervousness out there in the farming community particularly when you had Eamon Ryan saying that there needs to be a cut to the national herd and the average size of a dairy herd in this country is 70 animals. Now, there will be huge da- dairy farms as well, but the average, the small farm family is uh, 70. And of course, a lot of farm families then are concerned about the economic survival and how would they you know, feed and educate their families if there was to be any cut to their herd size. So they just want to know one way or the, un- uh, the other what's happening and can they reach agreement? But I, I look at just certainly anything I've read today and I read a lot before I came on air this morning. It, you know, it is looking like they're, they're not, they're somewhere near an agreement, but they're not fully near, near an agreement. And because the cabinet will have its last meeting tomorrow, if the cabinet can sign off on it tomorrow, then the indication is that the decision will be pushed out and it'll be delayed until September, which will just, as I say, lead to that nervousness and worry for farmers. They need to know one way or the other. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. You're there, Joe. Good morning. Or good I am indeed. You're, you're very welcome. Okay, we are dealing with gambling today. We promised we would do this last yeah. week and you've got uh, 20 questions. It's just simple yes or no, so you just need to be ticking and counting it how many... Is. How many? And y- the whole idea is that if a person, or indeed a person's partner maybe, um, like that foreign card that came, um, was in doubt, you know, have I a problem? Haven't I a problem? Well, we have 20 questions that might uh, answer 
that question so could, for you. So could, could you do this by, if, if say for example, I'm worried that my partner has, has a gambling problem. Could I answer these yes no questions with him in mind? Sometimes I think, think one could. could. Yeah, you could I do that think one. one could. And, and I, um, yeah. I think it's very timely as well because I was reading in the papers yesterday, it was a piece from Michael Aguirre who's the Senior Addiction Counselor with oh, Convera. Yeah. Yeah. We've often spoken yeah, yeah. with Mike in the programme. And of course, Convera is the actually, it's the only dedicated residential treatment centre for gambling uh, addicts and they've seen an unprecedented numbers seeking admission and Michael is quoted in the papers as saying what we are witnessing is an unprecedented level of online gambling addiction he said it's a perfect storm destroying Absolutely. the lives of countless addicts and their families and you know he went on to talk about the, the COVID pandemic yeah. and how yeah. it forced people to home and he said people who might only have gone to the betting shop and done one or two bets suddenly found themselves worried about what was going on in the world worried about you know, fearful that they would get COVID you know, became very isolated and ended up almost as a distraction going online. Oh, I'll do a bit of gambling. And then how easily they got addicted uh, to you it. couldn't say it better. Yeah, and, he, exactly and, it. And, and you know, he spoke about which I, what, what I've heard you speak about before. If somebody is taking alcohol or somebody's taking drugs, at some stage, the body will shout stop. And he was saying like the scary thing with gambling is you can go from zero to 100 in no time. Uh, and like the body will set a limit on how much substances you can get into your body. But there's no saturation point for gamblers. And Which I thought was a very valid that, point. And people would notice if one was indulging in uh, alcohol and or drug abuse. Whereas um, you could be looking perfectly well. Um, uh, all the outside um, signs uh, would be looking well. And you could be in an awfully um, uh, deep hole with gambling. It's the hidden addiction. And bringing your family down with you. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, let's go through because I want to make sure we get through the 20 questions. So off you go with the 20 questions. Okay, and as you said, Patricia, it's simply yes or no. Okay, number one. Did you ever lose time from work due to gambling? Number two. Has gambling ever made your home life unhappy? Three. Did gambling affect your reputation? Four, have you ever felt remorse after gambling? Five, did you ever gamble to get money with which to pay debts or otherwise solve financial difficulties? Six, did gambling cause a decrease in your ambition or efficiency? Seven, After losing, did you feel you must return as soon as possible and win back those losses? Eight. After a win, did you ever have a strong urge to return and win more? Nine. Did you often gamble until your last euro was gone? Ten. Did you ever borrow to finance your gambling? 11. Have you ever sold anything to finance gambling? 12. Were you reluctant to use gambling money for normal expenditures? 13. 
Did gambling make you careless of the welfare of yourself or your family? 14. Did you ever gamble longer than you planned? 15. Have you ever gambled to escape worry or trouble? 16. Have you ever committed or considered committing an illegal act to finance your gambling? 17. Did gambling cause you to have difficulty sleeping? 18. Do arguments, disappointments or frustration create within you an urge to gamble? 19. Did you have an urge to celebrate good fortune by a few hours of gambling? 20. Have you ever considered self-destruction, suicide, as a result of your gambling? Now, on those 20 questions, Patricia, most compulsive gamblers will answer yes to at least seven. Seven, okay. So oh, and these, by the way, are recognised. This is from Gamblers Anonymous, isn't it? It these, is. Yeah. That is yeah. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Gamblers Anonymous 20 questions. And listening yeah. to those questions, you, you absolutely could answer them with a husband or a son or a daughter or a family member or a friend in mind because you'd know a lot of those. OK, some of the hidden parts you, you might would. know, but you certainly would, would be able to if you're living with somebody who's got a gambling addiction, at least seven or more of them would, you would know exactly what the person uh, was uh, doing. Is it very hard for somebody to fess up and say, I have a gambling addiction? I would think yes. But uh, the minute that a person says, as we've often said on the programme, Patricia, the minute a person says, do you know what? I have a problem they're 50% on the road to recovery because um, with any um, addiction, uh, step one, whether you're talking AA, GA, NA, the wording is the same. We admitted we were powerless over addiction, named that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, that's the nub of it. Step one, in the 12-step program um, uh, originated with Alcoholics Anonymous and that has been successful throughout the world in people making uh, a full and healthy recovery. We admitted we were were powerless over our, our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. And the unmanageability... you know, is uh, clear um, whether it's um, uh, abusing alcohol, drugs, or gambling. The only difference, as we have said, is that the uh, the gambling one is more easily hidden. Um, the others become uh, clear to loved ones and uh, much more readily than the gambling one. And if there has been cases of when family members found out, it was often too late. You think the family homes could be lost? It has happened. It has happened. I, I have spoken with people whose um, 
Usually, the we admit it, we were powerless, uh, comes when one has hit what we'll call rock bottom. And very often, I have spoken to people whose rock bottom has been um, in the gambling area um, uh, dramatically uh, serious um, for themselves and their families. Now, having said that, um, even when things have reached a real bad uh, situation, their recovery is possible, and people do listen. Um, whether it's uh, a bank or whether it's uh, a debtor in any way, um, uh, there, there, there very often is understanding. Once a person puts his or her hand up and says, "I have a problem, I, I'm, I, I'm in trouble," um, people do listen. Um, uh, empathically, sympathetically, and uh, and things can be worked out. Um, uh, I, quite a few, t- oh my God, a few times wouldn't amount to it at all. Over the last 20 years, um, there have been several people that uh, I have been uh, speaking with who had a gambling problem, but the minute they walk in the door of the office and sit down and say, um, I have I have a problem with gambling. They're on their way. Mm. They're on their way would, to recover. But would it worry you to hear, you know, somebody like like Mick Aaron from Cunavera saying, you know, an unprecedented level of people struggling with online addiction and just not enough places in the residential treatment centre? Because there will be some people and that will be their only route, won't it, to recovery is to go residential. Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, Professor O'Gara there recently in John God's in Stilorgan in Dublin, um, they have had also an unprecedented amount of people presenting with a gambling problem. Um, yeah, um, I think, in fact, all addictions have been um, uh, negatively affected by the COVID and the lockdowns and all of that. Because I suppose, like, quite candidly, we're all looking for a bit of distraction. Now, if we're lucky, the distraction can be um, box sets on the telly. It can be a good novel. It can be something uh, quite healthy, like um, more exercise and walking and things like that. But unfortunately... For some... um, those who have an addictive personality, uh, the distraction can go into a very destructive mode. And that's what has happened, I think. OK, and as we mentioned, those 20 questions are coming directly from uh, Gamblers Anonymous. Gamblers Anonymous operate here in Cork. Yes, uh, 87 285 I'll just repeat that. 87 Nine double five two. The uh, the national number uh, in Dublin is zero one eight seven two one one three three. And if any of those numbers happen to be out of date, um, well then, uh, if one uh, googles um, Gamblers Anonymous Ireland, they will get all the information. For Cork, Galway, Tipperary, Kerry, Waterford, Belfast, etc. And so, as with AA, who operate Al Anon for family members, I'm assuming, does GA do the same thing? Well, now, now that you mention that, 
we could do we could look into that next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'd be talking about GAM anon. Okay. We have Naranon for families or uh, loved ones affected by another person's drug abuse. We have Alanon for people who are affected by another person's drinking. And we have GAM anon for uh, people who are affected by another person's uh, gambling. So it's extremely opportune that you would have said that okay. because we can research we'll get to that, that. Yeah. and talk and we'll, about and it we'll get to Because it is very important uh, that the, yeah. a family member has the support uh, that they need because it, this doesn't just destroy the lives of the gambler but it is, destroys the life of all of the family members as well okay we'll wrap it up there have a lovely bank holiday weekend Joe and we and will we'll speak to you this day next week thanks for that okay. and uh, thanks for joining us that is Joe Heffernan and Joe runs a counselling practice in Bohabui his number is 087 834 8145 One final text in from Donald who's critical of the government and previous governments when it comes to the reduction in carbon emission by farm saying a few years ago governments were pushing farmers to double production harvest remember harvest 2020 now farmers who responded and borrowed lots of money are now being asked to cut production just to keep Eamon Ryan and the Green Party happy not making any sense at all to uh, Donald thank you for that uh, Donald uh, texting 086 103 103 that's where I've got to wrap it up for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Mark Malone is in in all of this week as uh, Nick Richards is on holidays so Mark is with you for the afternoon we're back with you tomorrow for Wednesday's edition of the programme and being Wednesday Peter Dowdle will join us answering all of your gardening questions until tomorrow 10 I'm Patricia Messenger on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.